As of right now, it is the most watched documentary on Netflix ever, and quite possibly is the most famous documentary ever done. It's not about espionage. It's not about a presidential campaign. It's not about a viral outbreak. It's not about any of those things that you would think would affect so many people from a top-down or from a boots-on-the-ground level. No, the most popular documentary, perhaps of all time, is about a guy from Oklahoma who owns a zoo, has a band of misfits working for him, loses the zoo, hires a guy to kill his competitor, and now is in jail serving a possible multi-decade sentence for all the things that he claims he's not responsible for. Now, when I heard that there was a show called Tiger King on Netflix, it was because I was like any other person, I think, on social media that had gotten wind of the memes and had seen people talking about it. And I thought to myself, well, whatever this is, I might have to take a look into it. In fact, I didn't really want to look into Tiger King until I saw a tweet from a guy named John Acuff, who I follow quite a bit on Twitter. And considering the material that John puts out, and he tweeted about how Netflix needed to do more episodes of this documentary, I went, okay, what what exactly is going on here? Honestly, that was what drove me to watch this, was John Acuff giving it a bit of promotion. And I thought, interesting, it looks crazy, all the stories look crazy, but why not? I'll just I'll dip my toes in and see what's going on. So thank you, Mr. Acuff. You don't know me personally, but thank you for pushing me in that direction. So this episode is my response slash critique slash, that's not even a critique, more so observations of the Netflix documentary phenomenon, which is Tiger King. So I'm Josh Jaciel Felder. This is The Writer's Lens, and this is my review of Tiger King. So why has Tiger King been such a phenomenon? Is it because of the pandemic and we're all sheltered in place and we can't really go anywhere, so now we're turning to outlandish documentaries? Uh, Possibly. Um, I I don't know if that's the best question to prime for this episode, but one would think that uh, a, a show or documentary about the topic would be kind of something that maybe people from that world of animal rescue or zookeeping might look into and go, okay, I'm curious if they got it right. Do they have the culture down correctly? Is it a a world that is accurately being depicted uh, in this documentary? But instead, what we've had is millions and millions of people, not just the United States, but across the world that have picked up on this documentary, watched it, binged it, talked about it, shared memes over it. I mean, it it is incredibly popular right now. And I think like anything that becomes this popular this fast, it's going to have its day and then possibly it may have a follow-up in the, in the near future. Who knows? But I I was scratching my head last night because last night was when I finally finished it and my, my wife actually watched most of it with me and so I had a partner in crime on this. And we watched the, the follow-up episode, which was the interview's that were done via Skype or via however they did it, video conferencing because of the, the global pandemic. 
where they followed up with a good number of the cast of characters from Tiger King. So I've seen all eight episodes, at least that have been released as of April 14th, 2020. But it did make me pause and think, like, why <clears throat> why is this so popular? And that was the first question I wanted to sort of posit in this in this episode. And it 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 took a night of me just kind of ruminating on it and then getting up this morning and, and starting to jot some thoughts down before I did this episode. It's Jerry Springer in real time. I mean, that's really what this entire documentary has been about, is that it's 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 like a real life Jerry Springer show happening right in front of you with every episode. And there's a certain appeal to human curiosity as it relates to programs like Jerry Springer. If you're too young and you're listening to this and you're like, what's Jerry Springer? Uh, I'm not encouraging you to go back. I'm sure there's tons of YouTube clips on Jerry Springer or the Jerry Springer show. But I I, I won't go down uh, that rabbit trail of of what Jerry Springer was necessarily. But for those that know Jerry Springer and and the show and and what it entails, I guess the, the modern day version of it is like a Dr. Phil without too many of the theatrics, but Springer's appeal was that it was all about defying order, it supplanted all of your expectations, and it really just left anybody viewing it shocked when they were done watching any episode of Jerry Springer. I mean, my my parents had watched a few episodes when I was younger. I saw many episodes of it, uh, like on a Saturday or whatever it was when it was airing, and to me, that's why t- something like Tiger King has been so popular, is that it has that exact same shock appeal. You're watching it, and you know this is a sad story. You know this is a bit disturbing, but then it just takes all these turns that you just kind of go, I never would have predicted that. I never would have saw that coming. I cannot believe that person did what they just did. I can't believe that this person is behaving this way. Does this person not realize they're out of their mind? Does this individual not realize that that was a horrible decision? Does that person not realize they're being taped and they're being recorded and these things are going to go public eventually at some point? So it it completely subverts any kind of normalcy that you may be familiar with in your own life. And that's what leaves any quote-unquote normal person, or at least a person who is viewing this that has never been a zookeeper. Well, I shouldn't do the broad brushstroke here. I may need to edit that out. No, I'm not saying that zookeepers are crazy. But to anyone who works with big animals that are not domesticated, like a tiger or a lion or a large gorilla or chimpanzee, you you have to be in some sort of mindset that, yes, this thing could kill me. And yes, I'm still going to cozy up to it as though it was a dog or a cat. And to me, that's just me personally. And I think to most normal people, we would look at that and say, you're you're a little bit off-center in some way. It doesn't mean that you're crazy necessarily, but it's like, okay, that's cool. You can you can cozy up to that big animal. <laughs> that's totally your decision. But there is this shock value that comes out of this show that I think brings people into it as the trail of events and the narrative that gets put out in this docuseries just leaves you going, what on earth is going on? What's going to happen next? I, I, I don't even know if I necessarily want to watch the next episode. I just am curious about what else is going to shock me. So I, I think, honestly, that's what made Tiger King so popular so quickly was just that steady stream of who knows what's going to happen next. I mean, there's a there's a person in the documentary that literally had their arm bit off and then goes to explain how they wanted to get back to work as soon as possible 
because they didn't want people who wanted to get rid of the cats to win, right? They wanted to be part of the zoo as quickly as possible, have the arm amputated. I mean, it just, again, this is something you're just going, really? Like, this is this is your thought process? And and I'm sure if, if the individual who, who this is, I think it's Saf, I think was the character. I'm referring to his characters, but these are real people. Saf, who had her arm um, pulled off during the... Uh, documentary you just kind of go oh my gosh I feel so sorry for you why did you rush back to work and then she gives her line of reasoning why that was and and uh I just was like man this is crazy like this whole thing is so shocking to me I I'm gonna have to finish it now so quick tangent there on 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 that but man it's just anything but normal and before we get into my list of observations here as well uh this is not something that we should be absorbing as normal Okay, excluding just the the incident of having the arm ripped off. The shock value of this show shows and displays a level of sort of human depravity that exists within that world and everything that revolved around Joe Exotic, who was the main character of this documentary, that, and I, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, that to all of us that watch it, should have some measure of, okay, none of this was really normal. Not not all of it not being normal, but none of this was like something that we should say is like, yeah, that's normalcy. To be paid 150 bucks a week to work at a zoo nearly 12 hours a day and to be fed rotted meat off of a Walmart truck. Like, no, those aren't things that we should aspire to, right? That isn't a space that we should be in. And uh, quite honestly, when the documentary was over, I was like, wow, okay, I'm glad that a lot of these people got out of the situation that they're in and they're, they're doing other things. But, but anyway, uh, man, just lots of thoughts. So uh, sorry for taking you down that tangent there for a little bit. Here are some observations I have from the show as part of my review of Tiger King. So here we go. Here's my first one. Now, on top of it being a shock value laden documentary, the story is told profoundly well. Okay, the, the the director of this show, this documentary, put this together incredibly, incredibly well, which is another reason why this this whole thing comes together just so nicely. Is that the clips are all interwoven, um, you know, in, an, in in such an excellent fashion that you're not losing track of what's going on. Each person is given sort of their time of day. They fit into the narrative of the overall events of Tiger King very well. Um, there's some backtracking, there's some expository going on, there's there's reminding or you know retelling the audience in some episodes, like some episodes will start over and they'll tell you something that happened in the last one. Everything about the way that the flow of the seven to eight episodes of the documentary are put together is it's just really well done. You can tell it's a top-notch production. And that helps, of course. I mean, you can't just survive on shock value alone. I mean, look at the Transformers films. Okay, you know, the guy, the director of, of said films, shock value and explosions and, you know, boom, bang. Okay, you can only survive on that for so long until your audience goes, okay, we need some substance here. You know, we also not only need substance, we need a good narrative, right? We need a good story to go alongside all the explosions and flashy graphics. So Tiger King is put together incredibly, incredibly well, which is another reason why it works so well, is that the the chronology of the entire thing is is knit together very nicely. So... That, I think, was the first observation I had. And it, it gives what I think was a rather accurate depiction of the world that Joe Exotic lived in and the people who worked for him. Some of that I'll get into later. But 
But I think the impact that this is going to have on big cat ownership in the United States uh, with organizations, especially like PETA, uh, who were featured at near the end of the documentary, I think this is doing something very similar that was done with Blackfish years ago. Now, if you don't know what Blackfish was, it was a documentary about SeaWorld and the mistreatment of the animals, namely the killer whales that were in that uh, docuseries. So when I see things like Tiger King and sort of the end note of the last episode was Joe Exotic explaining and giving this really sad story about how he had two chimpanzees for nearly 10 years that sat in cages across from each other. And when they were let out into a, uh, a larger sanctuary, they went over and just hugged each other. Joe has this sort of breakdown moment where he goes, oh man, you know, did I deprive them of just basic social interaction uh, that they needed, you know, because chimps, as opposed to an ant, have higher emotive uh, functionality than 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 a lower order creature like an ant. Okay, like they have they do have emotions. There is there there's a lot of evidence of of sympathy slash sadness that you'll see in chimps and gorillas. So, us as human beings looking at these creatures, I really believe that the end message of this, aside from it just being totally filled with shock, totally filled with oh my gosh, what's going to happen in court? There is this message of okay, do we really need to have big animals like this being carted across the United States illegal? I mean, there, there was a statistic about how there's less than 4,000 tigers in the wild worldwide, yet there are almost two times as many of those in captivity in the world. I mean, that is a shocking statistic if you think about it. This is a wild animal that could eat you. It's 600 plus pounds. It, it has all of the makings of a creature that can survive in the wild to kill and eat just about anything it wants to, and it's in cages. What does that say about human beings and our need to control things, right? You know, not that I'm, you know, I, I'd be the first person to say, yeah, you know, I want animals to be free and everything else. And, uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't want to be in the same cage as a tiger or be in the same woods as a tiger. But man, I mean, they, there, there's some conservation efforts there that, that are probably going to be spurned out of this documentary. So that's the first one. Uh, the second observation I have is obviously, this is dovetailing off the last one, is that, you know, big cats are just not pets. Okay, they're just... If there's one thing I can get from this episode, or this episode series, you shouldn't have a tiger for a pet. You shouldn't have a lion for a pet. You shouldn't have a snow leopard for a pet. These are not domesticated creatures. Now, from a, you know, for me, from a storytelling fiction standpoint, the lion, the tiger, I mean, these are animals that are symbols of power. So if you can exert control over an animal like a tiger or a lion, then you yourself have some measure of what I would say illusionary, but it's 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 a sense of power and strength that another person may not have. And you can fight that fear and you can be in the cage with it. Congratulations, good for you. But I think there's almost this, uh, you know, dare I say, almost like sinful desire to have power. And, and some people may be total conservationists and they're like, yeah, you know, I, 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 I love lions. That's why I want to be near them and everything else. Okay. But obviously there's a darker side of this of control and influence that people have such as the characters in the in this documentary so when you're watching this you're just going you know all of these folks exerting power over these animals in some way they're not pets okay they should not be pets they shouldn't be treated as pets uh, I think that was made pretty obvious by one of the uh, individuals having their arm almost ripped off that I mentioned earlier in this episode so so yeah they're not pets period number three 
Outcasts attract other outliers in society. One of the first things in the in the episode that get mentioned about Joe Exotic is that you know he's kind of a crazy compilation of stereotypes. Okay, he was this openly gay cowboy, gun-toting zoo owner with a mullet who sang uh, country songs. But even though we found out it wasn't really his voice in those in those songs, uh, what a crazy character! You know, like, is almost like something you would dream up out of a of a comedy series or something. I mean, just kind of a crazy uh, character in general. As are the, all the people that were attracted to him. I mean, this Jeff Lowe individual, this this uh, you know guy rolling in in Vegas with his wife and is a swinger and you know illegally swapping tigers and things through the through the U.S. This Carol Baskins and her Big Cat Rescue and uh, Howard Baskin. I mean, every single person that is somehow intertwined. And I'm not saying Joe Exotic is is the linchpin in all this. I think it's just the culture of that air of that environment. But just everything about it just is like, you know, it almost feels like the misfits are attracted to one another in this world because it's just kind of obscure. You know, it's not a normal world that you see the majority of Americans inhabiting. And that's why, you know, places like zoos are like escapes, right? Like, I'll be the first to admit that, like, I like taking my kids to the zoo so they can see animals. I mean, it's it's cool. It's really interesting to be up close to, like, an elephant or a tiger or a lion or a bear and know that they're not going to rip your face off. But in that same sense... I don't want to live in that area. Like, I don't want to be someone that takes care of them. I don't want to be someone that is there day and night with these creatures because I know they're wild. So getting up close to them is like an escape from normalcy, from my suburb living, driving to work, sitting in an office or whatever I'm doing. It's an escape. And it's brushing up against something that I know is wild and I shouldn't, you know, I would never be next to if chosen to without the confines of a cage. So... To folks that seek that sort of thrill, a person like Joe Exotic, it, it almost attracts that sort of personality. And I think that looking at this sort of documentary, you can understand why these people would gravitate towards him. You can just see that. So that's number three. Number four, uh, this, <laughs> this docuseries really made me, in many ways, question some of the motives of the judicial process. <laughs> um uh, just in terms of allowing people to be informants and the way that they were presented. I mean, the, there was the Mark, I think, Batter, what was his last name? Um, gosh, I, I just totally blanked on his name, some of the characters, but I'll, I may have to go back and edit this. But he, but just the guys that got off scot-free that were informants, and I mean, there was a guy that was basically paid money to go kill somebody, and he doesn't even go to jail. Like, he totally took the money. <laughs> he was going to go kill somebody. He doesn't go to jail. And you just kind of sit there and go, okay, why? I mean, he obviously didn't do anything wrong. He was paid money uh, to do it. But then you're kind of sitting there going, isn't this still wrong? Like, (laughs) there's some sort of punishment. But then there's, of course, there's information given as, you know, bargaining chips to, like, get the person, Joe Exotic, specifically. And it really made me think a little bit about our judicial process. Not that I want to usurp it. I mean, obviously, I'd want a fair trial myself if something ever came to that. I never want to be in that situation, heaven forbid. Uh, but man, it just it just made you kind of go, "Wow, like that's that's kind of crazy how everything just played out." So that was my number, my my fourth observation. My fifth observation is I would really love to see a follow up uh, documentary on this. I'm, I'm with Mr. Acuff who uh, initially kind of hooked me on Twitter to, to watch this thing. Uh, I would love to see 
what became of, I think it was Doc Antle and his harem and how it was raided in December of 2019. I mean, that was literally only five months ago. You know, four or five months ago that happened. So I would love to see what's going on with that. I mean, Google can only tell me so much. If they're rolling cameras right now and getting people's reactions to that and what happened, um, I, w- I would love to see what, what would happen to that. Not because I want to be entertained, but I think more so from an informational standpoint, I would want some closure on this world of big cats and people holding them against their will and breeding them and the euthanizing of them. And just there's a part of me that wants justice on a more broad scale. And I think that that might speak to a lot of people's hearts who watch this and are not just so wrapped up in the shock value of it. You might, like I said earlier about the Blackfish documentary, it makes you walk away from it going, man, I really wish something would happen that could stop a lot of this. Uh, and there's also the the realist in me that says, well, it's not going to stop everything, but at least you know some of the major players who have really abused the system might might face some justice. But again, that's just just me throwing it out there. And then finally, my last observation in this review slash observatory episode of the Writer's Lens, there is a really sad part of this documentary that I think it's glossed over, and uh, I don't think it was covered enough in the midst of this whole thing. If you Google and do some more research on the life of Joe Exotic, uh, you find out he was raised on a farm, uh, you know, he had two loving parents for all that we can tell. But there's this early story in his profile, and I think it's, I think on multiple sites you might be able to find this, but apparently when he was about five, he was raped by an older boy. And I don't recall this ever being mentioned in the documentary, but I do remember them talking about how he, he came out as gay to his parents when he was a teenager, and his dad wanted him out of the home immediately, you know, basically disowned him. Uh, and that's anytime there's a, a a riff between parents and children, it's a it's always a sad, sad and really disappointing outcome to something. Uh, because we look at relationships between husband and wife, and we go, yeah, we could see where something would go south. But whenever it's a father or mother and their own child, and there's a there's a riff, and something causes them to basically part ways, it really is a, a truly sad thing. But this event that happened to him as a boy, five years old, being raped by an older boy, that is an extremely traumatic thing. I mean, and I think it gets, I don't even think it gets any kind of airtime in the documentary. I'd have to go back and watch and see when Joe's giving a little bit of his backstory. I think it's in the second episode where he's giving some of his history of who he is, why, you know, he is what he is and all these things. But but it does make you question you know, at a very young and impressionable age, like my son is going to be five this year in June. And the thought of an older boy or anybody really older than him taking advantage of him sexually makes my hair stand on end and just want to beat the tar out of somebody, whoever did it. Because you realize that any violation at that age, any violation at any age really, but most, you know, at, at that age, can be such a traumatic experience going deep into someone's soul that it can really create a, it can really create the ignition for many choices that happen later in life. So, I mean, just look at the ripple effect of Joe's livelihood and, you know, the lifestyle that he chose later in life and how you know, he's trying to marry, you know, men 
really boys actually that are late teens, early twenties. I mean, I think it was mentioned in the in the eighth episode, the follow up one with uh, the cast that, that were from the documentary. The one guy was asked, you know, did you ever feel as though you were you know going to be sought after by Joe Exotic since you were a male who was single living on the at the zoo or living, you know, not on the zoo, but, you know, at the zoo. And he said, no, you know, I, I aged out, I think is what he said. You know, Joe goes for the younger boys. And it, it just clicked to me right then and there that some measure of trauma was still in there somehow and how we all have this desire to be wanted. And when the, when that is prematurely like spliced, when that is prematurely cut up, and the expectation that we don't even realize we have quite yet at that young of an age when we're just so malleable and so impressionable, we're absorbing everything, uh, you know, to have an experience happen to us, I think it's it's so deeply traumatic that we don't even really understand the full ramifications even of it now. Uh, but it's very clear from watching this documentary that, that, I mean, Joe is the kind of guy, I mean, I'm just I'm playing devil's advocate here. I know he was sort of the quote-unquote villain of this whole thing. But I did feel sad for him just seeing how his life story started out and how the rest of his life was about trying to be famous, trying to be known, trying to be accepted, trying to be uh, just known at a more intimate level perhaps by just broadcasting himself everywhere. And that's to me, that's just really, really, really sad. You know, that's just a really sad story at the end of the day. Uh, so... You know, that's that's something that um, really resonated with me at the end of all this, uh, between all the sh- you know the shock value and the stories of the other people and you know the the, the conning the the the, uh, the you know the wiretapping and everything else. To me, that's something that I took from this as just a, a really stark reminder of just the wounds that people have that are inflicted. And that if they don't deal with those wounds, if they don't deal with those demons, they will come out in ways that eventually will catch up to them and will affect everybody around them in one way or another. So so do I have a rating on this? Here's my segue to the end of this episode, so thanks for sticking with me to the end. Just so much to talk about on this. My rating, review of this, I mean, from a storytelling standpoint, from just the way it's presented, I mean, it's obviously top-notch. You know, it's from a scale of 1 to 10, it's like a 9 or a 10, right? Now, is it something I want to absorb into my life and adopt as part of my life? No, absolutely not. Uh, but like I said, the number one thing I'm taking from all of this is just the reminder of how broken people gravitate to each other all the time. And, I, and I'm a broken person. My wife's a broken person. My you know, neighbors are broken people. We all have things about us that are broken and in need of being repaired. And when you have an individual that has a lot of broken pieces, has a lot of sort of shrapnel in them, uh, you see that come out in the worst ways over time. And uh, it just, to me, that was that was the biggest takeaway from this whole thing, honestly. So those are my observations. Like I said, it's if you're just rating it on story, then yeah, it's, it's top-notch. But uh, there's so much within that that I think uh, is just really makes a person go, oh my gosh, I really hope this person either gets help or I hope this person comes out of that world eventually. That's my two cents here at the end of this. So so thanks for listening in and checking out this episode of The Writer's Lens. Apologize for lack of content over the last couple of weeks because, hey, guess what? 
I have another podcast that it's called The Narrative Wars. You should go check it out. Um, I just was approved on iTunes as of uh, recently. I'm going to be dropping another episode. So uh, this is going to be an ongoing podcast with the Writer's Lens. It's going to be an ongoing podcast for Narrative Wars. Uh, I just knew it needed its own space to breathe, and that's why we did it. So go on to iTunes or Spotify. Spotify should be coming soon, but it's on Podbean. It's on iTunes. Go over and subscribe to that as well, and we'll be hitting up uh, some episodes on that podcast as well. So once again, have a great week, guys. I know a lot of you are sheltering in place. Um, may your stories, as the pandemic begins to uh, come down and the people start coming out of their homes, may your story be a good one uh, that you've come out of the stay-at-home orders and we get back to normalcy here sooner than later. So be safe, be healthy, and I'll see you guys again soon. This is Josh J.C. Alfalto for The Writer's Lines.